Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbeck. I am joined today, as always, by the Athletic Senior Writer, Chris Vanini. Chris, hello. Nicole, it's good to be here. Spring football has begun. Basketball tournaments are underway. Uh, plants are blooming again out my window here in Texas. It's it's a it's a good feeling around everything. I think we are not quite in uh, the the plants blooming stage here in Chicago, but we are trending in, in that direction generally. Good. Um, but yes, yeah, spring football, we have a lot to discuss, including a very high profile quarterback battle, which I'll get into in one second. But I just want to remind everyone that you can subscribe, rate and review us on the Andy Staples show and friends feed as evidenced by the slaw conversation. Andy and Ari always have something to discuss no matter what part of the off season we're in. So you want to stay tuned on this feed all off season on today's episode of power hour. We will break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. So Chris, let's dive in. We'll start as we always do with the power five in true power hour fashion. We give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds. And it's time to move on to the next I will start with number one, the aforementioned quarterback battle. The Texas quarterback room uh, has has become the central and focal point of the offseason. As we've expected, Arch Manning, Quinn Ewers officially begin their quarterback battle. Uh, Sark has said that it is a competition. He was asked if Quinn Ewers was designated the returning starter or if it was totally open and Sark said every position is open right now noting that he's focused more on the individual individual development for each player quote Quinn has an entire year of a head start but I don't want to hold Arch back I want to see how far he can take this thing and what it can look like uh there was also a bunch of other recaps from open practice and spring practice. Um, Sam Khan was there for us and he had some great little details about like how many reporters readjusted themselves every time Arch Manning <laughs> threw a pass. But ultimately, you know, there were the flashes of what makes him a really special quarterback. And there are moments that he'll, he'll want back. He's brand new to the college game very early on in spring practice, but this is officially an open competition. Yeah, look, you know, Arch Manning is going to create a lot of headlines. You know, even Adam Schefter tweeted about it uh, on on Monday as well. Uh, but I, I thought Sam did a good job of explaining in his piece that, like, look, this is still Quinn Ewers' team. And Quinn Ewers has to, you know, take control and take charge. And him being challenged is, is a good thing. But let's not forget that the previous, you know, high, highest rated quarterback to... 
joined Texas before Arch Manning was Quinn Ewers. Like, like this guy was a very yes. number one recruit, number one overall recruit for a very, very good reason. We saw what he did against Alabama last year. And if he doesn't get hurt, I think there's a decent chance that they beat Alabama last year. Now, uh, when he came back, he wasn't the same. You know, deep balls were a problem. Accuracy was a problem. How much of that was injury? How much of that was just defenses adjusting to him? That's what we'll have to see. But look, it's Texas. People like talking about Texas. People like talking about the Mannings. There was going to be no shortage of Arch Manning stories all spring, all summer. So I guess buckle up and, and get used to hearing that name a lot before he even takes the field. Number two, Pac-12, Big 12, what's going on? Well, as Dr. Strange once said, I think we're in the end game now. Uh, we are coming up here believe that the Pac-12 will probably figure out its media deal in the next few weeks or at least this month depending on when you listen to it there may or may not have been any news about a meeting among Pac-12 CEOs and this is where we'll see what happens if it's enough to keep everybody together if it's not what the details could be uh, so if, if anybody's sick of realignment talk or or wants to know what's next we're kind of coming up on that now yeah, and uh, I think I speak for most people when I say thankfully. I, I think this has been a holding pattern that really a lot of schools and a lot of parts of the country have been in waiting for the Pac-12 to have its deal done or at least presented to know what the dollar figures are, to know what the streaming percentage is, and perhaps that creates some clarity whether the Pac-12 schools then – re-up and sign and sign a grant of rights that's probably very short term but there's some sense of stability formed or the big 12 which believes it can be aggressive here is able to do some things or maybe they're not with pac-12 schools and maybe the gonzaga move happens there's just been so much uncertainty but there has been an anticipated order of events and i think you do need to have that clarity from the pac-12 and the media deal, what it looks like, what it says, and what it locks people into before you can make that next step. So hopefully we do get that clarity soon and, uh, you know, everyone can can move on. As much as I have enjoyed the uh, corners of the Twitterverse that have argued between which one is stronger, the Big 12 or the Pac-12, for literally a year plus, uh, I do think it's time to get some answers there and maybe stop arguing for a second. Yes, maybe. We'll see. Pac-12, you know, it, it's like I, I got a mailbag question um, the other day of basically like, does the Mountain West want the Pac-12 to, to fall apart? And I, I don't think anybody wants the Pac-12 to fall apart, except for maybe some people on Big 12 Twitter. But like, like I, I think um, we'll find out. This is the moment of truth. This is, you know, George Klyukov has maybe not handled things the way people thought he should have. This was kind of like the big thing when he got hired was like fixing the TV deal that he inherited yes. from Larry Scott. And so now we will find out maybe this week, maybe in the next couple of weeks, what he ultimately comes up with. Yeah, it, it is a great point. That is what these commissioners were brought in to do. They were brought in right ahead of media negotiations for this reason. So for all the anxiety, for all the comments from people defending or taking shots at the Pac-12 and, and Klyovkov will have some answers here at some point soon. Number three, Chip Kelly signed an extension to remain the football head coach at UCLA through 2027. The program announced this on 
Friday. Um, and it's interesting. It's not, you know, the world's longest term deal, but it is worth pointing out that it will bridge the gap further into the Big Ten. Obviously, USC and UCLA are joining in the summer of 2024. Uh, this is a program that finished nine and four last season. Chip Kelly will make $6.1 million during the next two seasons, and then it increases to 6.2 for the final three years of the deal. Um, and the LA Times first reported details of the deal, which was restructured to add money to the annual salary, removing retention bonuses, um, which the athletic has confirmed. Now, Chips in his sixth season. There have been times where well, people weren't sure if it was going to work. Um, but this is, you know, this has been a build. He he won three win, three wins, four wins, three wins, then eight and nine. Um, beat Utah, lost three of the last four, including to Arizona and Pitt. Obviously, big news in the recruiting cycle, though, signing five-star recruit Dante Moore. It's a very interesting time there, especially with one season to go in the Pac-12 before then moving to the Big Ten. But coaches need these types of deals. They need usually to recruit with the ability to say, like, I have a, I'm under contract for the entire time you would be on campus. Um, so getting to 2027 establishes that. It also gets you a little bit deeper into the Big Ten era. Chip Kelly loves being at UCLA. Uh, you, we remember back before he took this job, like you said, five, six years ago, you know, he was in the mix for Florida and ultimately decided not to do it. Didn't want to be in that environment. Uh, the intense, you know, everything that comes along with being the SEC. Instead, he's out in Los Angeles, living by the beach, uh, recruiting uh, well enough, winning well enough to get a raise to six million dollars per year, which will certainly be helped by Big Ten money in the future. But yeah, look, you know, he's won. He has he has two winning records. Things are obviously trending upward, but now with, um, you know, uh, some quarterback and other changes, losing Zach Charbonnet and some star players off last year's teams. Now we'll see if he can sustain that this year moving forward, uh, I think. But he, I think he made the right life call all those years ago when he chose uh, to, <laughs> to be with UCLA over Florida. And I think Nebraska was open at the time. Some of the other jobs uh, – of a guy who just seems to fit in the right spot. So shout out to Chip Kelly for, her, I guess, getting a bunch more money to live on the beach. And I can tell you that Ari Wasserman is uh, certainly very jealous of that. Number four, uh, the clock rule changes are now almost official. We talked about it last week, but they were approved, uh, recommended, I guess, by the rules committee last week uh, to go forward to, I think, playing rules or something like that, another committee in April that will officially make it happen. But these are going to happen which is NFL first downs. So you run the clock. The clock keeps running after a first down, except for the last two minutes. Uh, no consecutive timeouts by a team. No more freezing a kicker multiple times. And if there's a foul in the end of the first or third quarters, those just carry over instead of adding an untimed down. None of these are major uh Kirby Smart, who's on the committee, was talking to media afterward, and you know they didn't want to do the run the clock after a completions rule because they thought that was too much of a change. So this is like a small step forward. Uh, ultimately, nothing surprising, nothing all that uh, 
impactful. They think maybe seven to eight plays per game total could be pulled off of, you know, with, with the running clock. My biggest um, question about this, and we'll see, is how does this impact uh, the Brian Ferentz contract at Iowa? This would not be a power hour podcast if we didn't talk about the Iowa offense, which we just absolutely love here. But yeah, if, you're, if you got to get 25 points per game, you're going to lose a couple of plays now. And uh, so we will see how that does. Got to be even more aggressive, Brian, even more aggressive in your short period of time. Speaking of Iowa, let's go to number five. This is off the field news. Uh, a settlement was reached between attorneys for the University of Iowa and plaintiffs or former athletes who sued the football program for racial discrimination. Uh, according to court filings, uh, our Scott Dockerman was all over this earlier this week. Um, the university and state board of regents will pay $4.175 million to, two, to 12 former players and their attorneys, plus to cover court costs. Um, now, they they dismissed, like, Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, Gary Barta, and uh, former strength coach Chris Doyle were dismissed as defendants with prejudice, so it can't be refiled against them. Um, but obviously, this is the conclusion of, of a saga that a lot of people had been following, and it's going to involve, you know, money from the public that is getting spent on this. The interesting comments came afterwards. Kirk Ferentz said that this was done without his knowledge. He doesn't support the settlement. He believes it would have been dismissed if it had gone to trial. And then other notable quotes came from Iowa State Auditor Rob Sand, who said that he was going to oppose the settlement if the university retained Gary Barda as athletic director, who has been the AD since 2006. And he was one of the members of the state appeal board, which uh, voted two to one to approve the settlement. So we know that he was the number one. So this is certainly, um, you know, something that I think maybe Iowa fans and, and fan bases, you know, closer to that, we're, we're following more closely, uh, but still a significant outcome there. And again, you can read Scott's piece on the athletic kind of breaking down all what it means. Yeah. I, I know when this came out, I think Monday morning, it was the headline of like, Oh, Iowa state auditor says he won't approve settlement unless Gary Barta is fired. And, Yes, that is extremely noteworthy, but there was a little bit more to it. Like we said, he was one of three members on the board that would approve or not uh, the settlement. It ultimately was approved. Um, he also, uh, the, the auditor, Rob Sand, told ESPN that he talked to Gary Barda before he kind of went public with that and said they had a cordial conversation. So I think that's a respectful way to, to handle things. And in his Rob Sands larger point was that this is like four or five different discrimination lawsuits that Iowa athletics has been involved in. And, and, and that is the, that, that is why he wants Gary Barr to fire. This isn't like a Brian Ferentz, the offense sucks situation. Like this is uh, there've been a lot of serious issues in the Iowa athletic department. And this is just the latest one. And this one involves taxpayer money being paid out. So, um, you know, it, it is, there is clearly a trend here. And among the many issues that we talk about with Iowa and often joke about, these are the ones that are more serious. And th that's what he was trying to bring attention to. And I just hope people understand kind of that's what that was all about. I do not think that uh, general fans caught that, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's um, why I wanted to, that's why yeah, I wanted no, to point it out. I agree. It's, it's, it's a really good point. And 
I do think, and this is something we will get at in the Power Hour Basketball Edition later this week because we dive into what's happening at Texas Tech, but um, I, I do think people are connecting the dots a little bit more now about trends, behaviors, multiple things happening under the same athletic director's watch that deserve some scrutiny, and, and that person deserves to answer some questions. And so I think that that point is well-raised here um, as you talk about Iowa. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Want to switch gears, though? Get over to Happy Hours, the part of the show we talk about something that intrigues us, something we enjoy, something that makes us happy. And in the offseason, it's, it's a little more challenging sometimes because we don't have actual football. We don't have players that we can talk about here or, um, you know, plays that we enjoyed or finishes. Um, so we're going to talk about coach contracts. Um, Chris, you had a, a fun story, an offbeat story about the perks that are included in these contracts. So walk us through some of what you found in this cycle. Yeah, so every time... Um you know, there's a new coaching cycle. I tried to get all the head coach contracts just in my files, just so I have them for if they get fired in three years, I know what the buyout is. <laughs> Essentially, that's what it's for. But as I was gathering them uh, this year, I was like, you know, what? let's let's see what's like really in these things. Because I've read a bunch of coach contracts. I don't think people understand like how much goes into this stuff. You've got some of them are like 20, 30 pages of all sorts of contingencies and reasons you can fire a person, reasons you can't. But it's not just the salary and the buyout that are in these things. There are all sorts of perks and weird, quirky things. And so that's kind of what I wanted to look at in the story. And I lead the story off with Deion Sanders, of course, uh, because he's Deion Sanders, but also because he has one of the most unique coaching contracts I've ever seen uh, in my years of, of doing this. Most notably, uh, Deion Sanders is quite famously an Under Armour person. Uh, he has a contract with them, so does his son. And uh, he, is, he had said in the past that he would never go back to Nike because of a falling out that they had in the 2000s or late 90s or, or something like that. Uh, 
when he got to Jackson State, Jackson State was a Nike school. Shortly after he was hired, they were no longer a Nike school. They were an Under Armour school. But it's a lot easier to do that at a SWAC school than it is at a Pac-12 school. And guess what? Deion Sanders has to wear Nike at Colorado. And not only does he have to wear Nike in his role as head coach, but he cannot, specifically says in the contract, he cannot tape over the logo. You know, like, like you think back to like Michael Jordan in the Dream Team gold medal ceremony when he would like cover up the Reebok logo uh, with a flag or something like that. Like Dion basically can't do that at, at uh, Colorado, which I found interesting. Uh, by the way, Colorado's Nike deal ends in, I think, mid to 2025. So not that far away. Uh, some other things I, I found interesting, Nebraska's Matt Rule gets 50 hours of private flight time. That's pretty nice, along with a salary that starts at $5.5 million and goes up to $12.5 million by the end of it. Uh, Luke Fickle at Wisconsin gets $125,000 annually in travel and entertainment benefits. Jeff Brom's contract at Louisville is basically fully guaranteed. If he's fired, he gets 100% of the deal. If he wins seven games, he gets an extension. If he wins 10, he gets two years extensions. Um, you get free season tickets if you're a coach. This is typically like 10 to 14. You get a suite at the stadium. You get tickets to road games. Um, what jumped out to me here was that Western Michigan's Lance Taylor, he gets 34 season tickets to Western Michigan football game. So if you want tickets, if that's the most important thing in your coach, it's not salary, it's not a recruiting base, it's tickets to the game. Western Michigan, I think, is a place to go. There's also do we do we know like is this a, just an enormous family? Is this I, I don't know a popular don't, guy, a lot of friends. We, I, I would like you to follow up on. This. I don't think Western Michigan is typically not. I don't think selling out its stadium, so there's probably more room uh, there, especially for those midweek games in the MAC. Um, but other stuff, there was relocation stipends ranging from thirty thousand to fifty thousand. Some have cell phone stipends that are like fifty to hundred bucks a month. Uh, so, Nicole, I got to ask, if you were a coach, what do you think would be the most important stipend you want? Well, I like that that entertainment and travel one. I, I'm assuming yes. that that must be for like personal travel. Uh, yeah, there, there is there. There is. All, yeah, because like the I benefits. would think that like the uh, having access to like a private plane or something would be elsewhere in yes. the contract. Yes. Coaches. Coaches have private playing time that must that is used for recruiting that is typically separate in the contract yeah okay so yeah i think i think that's what it would be because you know i'd be working so many hours i'd be um so many nights and weekends away from my family i would want to be able to take them like to tahiti i i think that yeah. that would be that would be important um I, I would also like the 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 merch question and like the contract like the, the freebies from the nike adidas whatever it is I, I know that there's just a lot kind of given like we always see the coaches at spring meetings and they go into like this you know the the swag rooms and just come home with like bags and bags of, of free stuff yes. um but i would definitely want to make sure that i got a lot of free gear that would be now, that would be another one i wouldn't want to have to buy regular clothes to just kind of like wear around i would want to be able to be head to toe in like a jumpsuit that would be in my gear with the logo in the right size with great shoes every day. Not even, I mean, jumpsuits, but like Nike under or whoever, like you can get legitimately really nice clothing now from these places and stuff like that. Now, well, that's true. Not... I would like, like they all make now they all make like Lulu started this Lululemon did, but like they all make like nice work pants and stuff now. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Now did, was it you, someone with the athletic couple years ago, I don't know if it was you or Chantel did a story about, 
what coaches do with all their old gear. Yeah. After they get fired, you know, <laughs> do you hold on? So, to I'm, yeah, I'm saying I would, I would still want to collect a lot of it. The, 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 the story was interesting. Cause I was like, what happens? Like you change colors, you can't wear all this stuff. Um, a lot of times the head coaches were giving them to like lower level staffers, GAs, people who like didn't have that type of clothing allowance. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was always very interesting about like, you know, for an introductory press conference, having to go run out and get the right colored tie do you keep ties like in past jobs? I remember talking to Rick Barnes about this because he basically had only coached at schools that were orange, but yes. they were different shades of orange. So he yes. still had to get different gear. Um, so yeah, all of that stuff fascinates me, but a hundred percent, I would want to stock up on all of that myself, but the entertainment and travel budget. Absolutely. I would want to be traveling for that one vacation a year where I probably am working the whole time. Anyway, first class, Stay somewhere great. Bring the whole fam. I want that in the budget. Now, this I'm not actually sure of, but 50 hours of private flight time that that Matt Rule gets. Do we think that's 50 hours in the air? Or like if you're parked somewhere when you land, does that count? I'm not actually sure about that. I don't know. I think you need to find this out, too. I would I would think it would be air miles, right? Because like you could right. be held accountable for like bad weather or delays or anything um i don't know i've never bought a private flight i don't a private jet do you pay by the hour or do you pay by the mile <laughs> you think i've done this i don't know, I, don't know. <laughs> I just recently found out that there's like an uber for private planes did you or uh heli- maybe helicopters i don't know oh Please? yeah that's a new thing this? that's a yeah. new thing it seems extremely dangerous i will not be doing that and that's um, the only reason not not because of money the reason I heard of it was when I lived in New York, um, there was like a little pad, like a helipad in lower Manhattan and people, the obviously the very rich people would like take that to the Hamptons instead of driving or taking the train, like just to avoid traffic. So it did exist. They, they did that in succession. I'm pretty sure. Okay. That's true. Yes. I yeah. think, well, they may have had their own private, like it wasn't Uber. This was like Uber. Uh... It was like, a step down from having your own private transport. What would you add to the contract, Chris? That is tough. I mean, like, by the way, coaches only get like 20 days off of vacation time. Like that, like a number of their number of their contracts literally say that because look, this is a job where you have to work pretty much every day. And yes, given you're getting private flights and millions of dollars, you don't want to hear about coaches complaining about how they're always on their phone because of recruiting while they're on vacation. But that is a very real thing. And there technically only is a couple of weeks of uh, PTO. I guess you could say they get a vacation time, which they usually take in February after signing day and July after camp season. So that's when coaches go on vacation. What would I want as a perk? I mean, I'm already getting the clothes. I'm already getting the flight. Um, you know, you've got, you've got, training tables and foods and food and all kinds of stuff there. I, I think um, you're getting the tickets. I don't know. I don't, can, can you think of anything that should be on here? I've never been in a position where I can think I'm going to have this much money and things to do to me. The money would solve all the problems I, I, that I would it, want. From it's the true. <laughs> I think depending on where you lived, if there was like a favorite restaurant, I wonder if you could write in like a reserved table at any point I that you bet need, you can you because it. all That's these coaches what... get country club uh membership yes i would want that because obviously i'm an avid golfer as of last year yes. so definitely want the golf club country club access but i think depending on where i was you'd also have to be kind of familiar with the landscape 
if I have a favorite restaurant in that town or that area, and maybe this works better for the LA contracts, but the ones in cities, I want either a standing table at my favorite restaurant or like a weekly reservation at my mm. favorite restaurant. I feel like that's just annoying enough that you could ask for it and it would actually happen. Yeah. If you're a coach in like Texas, like can you get like cowboy season tickets on there or something like that or concerts, oh, concert yeah, tickets that come in town? Can I, think I get Taylor something. Swift concert tickets locked into a contract? If they're if, if she's coming through your town or your region, you probably yeah, like do could. do they have an inside scoop? On, well, first of all, they probably have connections to stadiums that you know and arenas, but mm-hmm. also maybe even a Ticketmaster. Hmm. Okay, maybe this is the way the way to get around Ticketmaster. Yes. I think there's some I think there's some creative ideas. I think there's things people could do. And you could tweet us, message us, uh, send us what you think you could get you could get approved. Like not just what you would ask for, but you think that someone would say yes to as an athletic director. Because I yeah. bet I bet there's some wacky stuff. Yeah. While while I was writing this, I just had lifestyles of the rich and famous kind of playing in my head as this was was going on. That's that's what uh, that's what it means to be a college football coach. And like I said at the the story, like being a fired college football coach is the best. Uh, it's it's great work if you can get it and then lose it. Um, so that's certainly cool. a couple other weird things. Kent State uh, had one of the most interesting contracts as well for Kenny Burns, the new head coach. Uh, part of it, this was put in Sean Lewis's previous contract, but if they play one, two, or three buy games where they go get their ass kicked by a Power 5 school, a certain chunk of that money is allocated to the football budget, which is uh, good because Kent State is being put out there just to make money for the athletic department. But also, Kenny Burns cannot recruit any Kent State players within a year of leaving the school. I think whether he's fired or takes another job. Uh, and that's a concern among group five schools. Like if, if your coach does well and takes another job that he's going to take all your best players with him. Um, and Kent state lost a ton of really good players off of last year's team. So yeah, coaching contracts, they're public record. Uh, if it's a public school, uh, so I couldn't get Stanford or Tulsa or Liberty. Um, but these things are pretty wild to go through. And again, schools are getting their asses handed to them when it comes to these negotiations. And you get school, you get coaches that are getting 75% buyouts and stuff like that. So wild, wild times. And we put that in our happy hour segment. Uh, could also fit in the on the rocks, um, which we will talk about now. This is the part of the show where we talk it out. There, there's some friction somewhere in this sport, and we are here to help work, work through it. In this week's Rocky relationship, we are going to talk about the SEC schools and their relationship to the new schedule that is coming in a 16-team SEC. We don't know for sure. Nothing is finalized yet. We know that they have been discussing an eight-game conference schedule, a nine-game conference schedule, how many protected rivalry games. The most natural solution, I think, and hopefully the one that we land on, is three protected rivals, and then you rotate through the other um, six and six of the league. So you're playing everybody every two years. And most importantly, this is going to be a scheduling model where teams will actually get to go to each other's campuses. So, you know, if you're somewhere for four years, you get to play at the other stadiums of all of the schools in your conference, which hasn't been happening. What's it? Georgia has never played at Texas A&M, I think. Yes. Since A&M joined the SEC. Like that is the prime example of how broken this is when you have divisions and you have giant conferences, you need to be active about this and make decisions that allow for this to happen. 
I think that we're going to see that in the Big Ten and the SEC. But again, we're still waiting for like the final final schedules, final uh, decisions about protected rivals. And but I but I support the idea of three because I, I think that it matters to fans. It gets you better games. And the whole thing, as we think about, you know, the, the present and the future of college sports right now is you need to keep people engaged. You need to put butts in seats. You need to get people watching your games. Like it's part of the reason that the SEC added who it added and the Big Ten added who they added because they believe it has value. That that games between, you know, Alabama and Texas, Alabama and Oklahoma, like that people are going to watch those games. People are going to show up to those games. So uh, speaking of that, Nick Saban has been uh, not shy not shy. He's been sharing his opinion the last few days. Um, It started in an article to Ross Dellinger at SI. He said, quote, I've always been an advocate for playing more conference games, but if you play more games, I think you have to get to the three fixed opponents, right? They're giving us Tennessee, Auburn, and LSU. I don't know how they come to that. Uh, He then goes on to explain that the SEC was using a 10-year success metric to try to figure out how to do this fairly in terms of rivalries, geography, but also actual balance so that people don't have, you know, one school has a really, really hard schedule based on their permanent rivals and the other school doesn't. Um, And then this is more from Saban. He says, well, some of those years, Tennessee wasn't as good as they've been in the previous 10 years, but now they're as good as they used to be before those 10 years. We've got three teams and two of them are in the top 10. The other is in the top 10 a lot. Basically, what Nick Saban is saying is Alabama's schedule is too hard if these are the three rivals. What I have to say is not everybody gets to play Vanderbilt. Like, you can't have every single person in the SEC play Vanderbilt. And I get where he's coming from on this, but, like, the thing is, no one's going to have a lot of sympathy for Alabama having a more challenging schedule. They should. And... You're never going to get this perfect. You're never going to have this balance right. And when you're adding the big programs, adding the big brands, this would be like for USC and UCLA to come into the Big Ten and neither of them to play Ohio State or Michigan because their schedules are going to be kind of loaded because they play each other and because of their other rivals. Like, that's just not how it works. That's not what this is about. And I I, I don't have a lot of patience for complaining about it because – we all want this. This is going to be better for fans. It's going to be better. The players get to play in bigger games against rivals in games that matter every single year. And that is a positive. Alabama should be challenged on an annual basis. We're also moving into an era of the playoff where you're going to be able to lose a game or two and still make this thing. It's not like you have to shoot for perfection anymore. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for this, but I understand why there is angst around scheduling and why everyone else would be worried that they're going to get a more challenging schedule than all of their peers. You know who Alabama doesn't have to play every year? Alabama. That like everybody else who has to play them does not want to play Alabama. So their schedules are going to look different if they have Alabama on their schedule. I can't have this. I'm so confused by why Nick Saban is so upset about this because he's upset that they would have to play Tennessee, Auburn and LSU every year. You already do that. You have to, you have to play in the, by far the toughest division in all of college football right now. Your schedule is probably going to be easier moving forward. 
because you're going to be playing more schools that are in currently what is now the East. Uh, you know, you, you'll be playing Vanderbilt probably more frequently than you do otherwise. So, look, and, and, and yes, as Nick Saban pointed out, this is basically what he asked for. He has always wanted to only play Power 5 teams or thinks that all teams should only play Power 5 teams, that maybe the maybe the SEC should play nine conference games. Well, like, this is what happens when you do that. So, I like, I have no sympathy for his complaining on this thing that is honestly so incredibly minor. And look, those are three huge rivalries. Like that's good to have. It's not like Georgia's on your schedule every year or something like that. Um, There are a lot of details that need to be worked out about this, but yes, there's no sympathy coming for Alabama, mostly because you could make the case that their schedule in some years is harder now. Yeah, I agree. I just... You know, when you add conference games, you're going to add losses. When you make schedules harder, they become harder. But all of that is good for fans. It is all good for us. It is what people have been asking for. If you are fortunate enough to have rivalries, people want to see you play those games. Those matter. And also, I'm just going to say this. Like, you're talking about a permanent rival as opposed to someone you're going to play every other year. It's not even that dramatic. Like, I get why that matters. But you're still going to be playing these teams. Like this is a different scheduling model. You're not going to be in a division that might be stronger or might be weaker than the other one every single year. So I don't have, I don't have a ton of patience for it either, but I get it. I get why these are battles. I get why there is tension around these decisions and we still don't have those finalized schedules yet. So people can continue to complain. And you could also very rightly point out that Alabama and Mississippi state are close. And that's not one of the ones that Saban says Alabama is being told is going to be one of their rivals. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, But I do think it's a benefit for college football for Alabama to have a tougher schedule and to play these rivals every single year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The last topic I want to hit on for for the Rocks is about the Pac-12. And I know we've hit this like every single week. We know Andy and Ari talk about this all the time. So do Bruce and Stu. But the question really is, Chris, can the Pac-12 save itself? Can it get through this unscathed, stay together, maybe even add a school or two, and be viable? Get to a number that you're handing out to each school per year that allows you to stay in the mix. And so much of what has unfolded over the last few months feels like a campaign between the Big 12 and the Pac-12, right? Like, it's like, we're going to be better. We're going to be higher. We go first. Like, it's a direct comparison. But we don't have those answers from the Pac-12 because George Klavkov has gone very radio silent, very much gone in a bunker, really since USC UCLA jumped to the Big 10. But we're all waiting to see, like, wh- what what happens with the Big 12? The Sorry, with the Pac-12. I mean, this is exactly what a rocky relationship is. It's the members within the Pac-12 looking at this, waiting, anxious, and then also just the rest of college sports. No one, as to your point earlier, no one wants the Pac-12 to die. It's 
good for college sports to have a Pac-12. It's good to have regional balance and regional conferences. So what happens? Yeah, to me, I mean, you and I were talking about this yesterday, but but I think college sports, college football needs an anchor out West. And if the Pac-12 were to dissolve, you don't have that point that everybody revolves around. And maybe you won't without USC and UCLA in the uh, Pac-12 anyway. But, you know, the charm of college football has always been the regional aspect of it even though the TV executives don't believe so, even more and more commissioners don't seem to believe so. I still think that matters. And if you only have the Mountain West as the only West Coast type of conference, I just I don't think that's good for, for anybody involved. And the Pac-12 is in the spot because it has made so many wrong decisions over the last number of years. We go back 13 years or so when uh, the Pac-12 almost uh, killed the Big 12 you know, when it was possibly going to the Pac-16 and adding Texas and Oklahoma and all this kinds of stuff ultimately didn't end up happening. You got the Longhorn Network out of it. Uh, They decided to make the Pac-12 Network. And instead of partnering with ESPN or Fox, they decided to do it themselves. That turned out to be incredibly costly, both literally because of money and uh, opportunities and visibility as well. You've got uh, last year, last year, two years ago, when Texas and Oklahoma left and the Pac-12 could have probably killed the Big 12 at that point, too. You know, it, it could have tried to maybe grab TCU and Texas Tech and some other schools from the Big 12 to pull that league apart. It didn't. And now the Big 12 survived and is now trying to kind of maybe kill the Pac-12 by trying to add those four corner schools and kind of rip the conference apart. So, you know, I just wanted to talk about this one more time in this pod because at this point, you know, by the next time we get together, it may or may not be done or almost done or whatever. But I just it's been very weird to see everybody jumping up and down or just people on Twitter celebrating or talking about as if the Pac-12 is going to be in this terrible position that, that it's going to die, that it's whatever. And I just, I don't like talking about, I don't, I don't like seeing stuff like that. And um, we will see. Ultimately, I still think the Pac-12 is going to be okay. I think if you get a mix of ESPN and Amazon Friday night game, put the Pac-12 network stuff on streaming. uh, I think that, the numbers close to the big 12, I think they'll still be fine, but now we're going to see. To your point, it is weird to see people rooting for the dissolution of a conference. I agree completely with that. Don't like it. And it's part of this world that we've been in the last few years where it's, Fans and media and people becoming much more hyper aware of the financials, right? And so we've had this evolution over however many years where people are paying more attention to athletic directors and conference commissioners and like the business of college sports. But this zero sum game or this only talking about revenues and this and that is if there aren't other factors in decisions um, than just maybe a couple of million dollars per year and that like decades of relationships with schools or again I know it sounds like you know cliche or uh, whatever but like academic research institutions tied together projects that you know stretch across like there's all these other pieces to college athletics that make them unique to colleges and 
I also just kind of hate how everything's been kind of this bottom line about, well, if it's 31.7 million per year, and what if it comes in at 28.5 million per year? Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's a world that, um, we're all kind of acting like we're all little GMs or something. (laughs) And, that there's not like a million other factors in a lot of people's lives affected by these things. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. And that, you know, if you're an NFL fan, an NBA fan or whatever, you play GM in the off season, you talk about who you're going to draft. You talk about the free agents. You you talk about the salary cap. College sports doesn't have that. So what do we, we turn to, we turn to, we're all mini conference commissioners. And this is what that's, that's our GM role where we basically reorganize the sport. And we need something to talk about in realignment to tell is always very juicy, but you know, like I wrote a column after the Texas Oklahoma news uh, two years ago, but just about how much realignment sucks and it's taking away what we love about college football. Then after the USC UCLA news last year, I wrote that this is kind of the end of college football uh, as we know it. And, you know, when, when the super league was going to happen in soccer a couple years ago, it stopped because the fans revolted against it and the, 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 the fans at the big clubs like Chelsea and Manchester City uh, felt like their relationships with other teams in England were important, that local club uh, situations mattered. And that's what killed the Super League. And they're probably going to try to keep doing it again. I think Barcelona and Real Madrid are trying to, to keep it going. But it was really encouraging to see a situation like that where fans were sticking up for the little guys and basically like there's more important things in sports than money. And it's just kind of been disappointing to see a lot of the conversation around conference realignment, which is, hey, let's kill this conference, you know, leave my rival out of uh, this league. And like you said, zero sum game. And it's just it's that's not the fun of college sports. The fun of college sports is the regional stuff, the rivalries, the pageantry and having 100 and something teams and, and not getting to a power two with 40 teams or something, which I feel like we're heading toward. Well, and, and again, like this isn't to sound naive, like this stuff is happening. We all know why these things are happening. We all have talked about and seen the stratification and, you know, the ACC and these conversations about their revenue, unequal revenue sharing, et cetera, et cetera, is because they're falling behind. Like there's you can talk about all of these things without, I think, being callous or be rooting for the demise of, of different conferences. Like a lot of this would not make sense if you started from scratch to form college athletics in 2023 the business model does not make sense it it's a couple of sports that prop up the ability to have all of these other sports so that's where like you just you go down this 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 line of thinking and you end up being like well why do we sponsor all these sports we should only be investing the money in the sports that make money well that's again that's not what this is about like this isn't why the system exists why it started anyway that is a rant for another day but i i just i want people to think about the way that people are talking about this and the way that they're thinking about it and what it what rooting for an outcome in this situation means and not not to say that like our listeners are doing that but i i do see that across the board um and and I, something that i've been top of mind for for me as well um but we do need to wrap things up here on power hour and we always do that with our last call cheers or jeers it's whatever we would want to have that last drink and cheers to at the bar so if we want to rant about one more thing get it off our chest this is when we do it. If we want to celebrate something one more time, 
this is when we do it. Uh, Chris, I am going to hand it off to you for your last call first. My uh, cheers is going to be for Chris Kirk, who is a golfer on the PGA Tour. Uh, he arrived at uh, TPCC Sawgrass this week wearing a red shirt that just said 65-7 on it. Uh, Kyle Porter from CBS, I think, had the image of this. Chris Kirk is an alum of the University of Georgia. 65-7 to happened to be the score of that national title game that both you and I were at and don't remember a single thing about the game because it was 65-7. to uh, I think Kirk also resides in Athens as well. Uh, I think it's an awesome shirt. Like if I won a national championship 65 to seven or my team did, I would tell people about that for the rest of time. And it's such a clean looking shirt. It's literally doesn't say Georgia. It just says 65 to seven. And if you're a Georgia fan or a TCU fan, you know what that means. So I think that's a great shirt. Shout out to Chris Kirk. Okay, my last call, switching gears just just a tad, um, but Power Hour is also now a basketball show, as you guys know, later in the feed in the week. Uh, we're going to switch gears and go into the women's basketball world for a second because one of the most entertaining teams and really fun teams that I have seen in some time is the Washington State women's basketball team. They won the Pac-12 tournament for the very first time ever this past weekend. They had the most delightful on-court post-game interview. Their joy is infectious. And part of that joy stems from some of their routines. And apparently they're obsessed with Shania Twain. They often are singing, uh, man, it feels like a woman. They're, all you need to just say to one of them or, or say before a game is, let's go, girls. And they just go. So after they win the Pac-12 championship, this delightful moment unfolds. The best thing about being a woman is that the rocket and the have a little fun. So of course, this has gotten to Shania Twain. Like this is absolutely amazing that Shania Twain has become aware of wazoo their obsession with her their love for her so she has been tweeting up a storm about this she said she was in switzerland wishes she could have been there um but she tweeted about them singing this and, and 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 dancing along to her song which by the way is just an iconic song i mean this is however many years long it is amazing and shania twain tweets i am honored to have been such a small part of your journey it is just delightful. It is wholesome. I hope that she goes to the NCAA tournament and is cheering on her Cougs at some point. But I love that. Cheers. My last call goes to Shania Twain. I like it. And that will do it for this week's Power Hour. For Chris Vanini, I am Nicole Auerbach. We'll be back next week. And be sure to check out our Power Hour College Basketball Edition later this week on the feed as well.